Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. And 316, if you'd like to go and follow Amy and Kim, I think it is today, thank you very much. And I want to give a huge welcome to Joel. Thanks, Joel. I did well. Look, quarter fast. Hello, church. It's an absolute pleasure to be back again. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak to you today. Um, Though I'm going to be a little bit honest with you and uh, say that when I was given this topic, uh, what Simon does is he emails around the people that speak and then they try and grab a slot that's not too terrible. (laughs) (coughs) Clearly, I didn't do too well. (laughs) But... And genuinely, I thought, forced me to study. It's forced me to look at the subject of lament, which is um, a huge part of the Psalms. Um, And uh, actually, what I've discovered is uh, that it's going to be really impactive in our lives in understanding uh, so much of God's heart for us today. Um, So I hope that you will uh, not switch off. Uh, Chris facetiously said last week it's moaning. Um, It is a little bit, but we'll come to that in a second. Um, I would also like to just say a quick personal thing before I start. Um, You know that it's been a time of change for my family and I, um, and we want to thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your gifts. Amazing. Um, uh, But I also want to say that today there are some strong words I think I've got from the Lord for you. Please don't put a filter on that that I haven't intended. Okay? So if you hear something, don't assume that I'm saying something I'm not. I'm saying what I am saying. So uh, let's pray for a moment, shall we? Father, I ask for a word in season for us today. Lord, bring freedom to our lives through your powerful word. Get me out of the way. Say what you want to. Amen. Okay, right. So today we're talking about the subject of lament. Right, so uh, obviously we're in a series on Psalms. Uh, Psalms are 150-ish songs, which are poems set to music, in case you haven't worked that out. Uh, Does anybody know the difference between singing a song and worship, or musical worship at the very least? Any ideas on that? Because I've been pondering that this week, um, and my personal view on it is it becomes worship at the point that you start praying as well as singing. Now, I can drive to work in my uh, rather nice golf estate, and it has adaptive cruise control. That means I can put my feet on the floor, set a a speed, and the car will go. The car will also brake if something's in front of it. It will not steer yet, but I hope, before I retire, that I will be able to come off of nights, get into my car, press the home button, and kip upon the back seat. Some of us do that in church when the music's on. So if you really want to be serious about worshipping, it's the second you engage with God. It doesn't matter if you sing like a cat that's being squashed under your foot. It's worship when you engage. And today I hope that you will engage also with speaking. It's likewise with, um, uh, with the preacher. If you engage with what's being said and you open your heart to it, then you will get something out of it. Not because I'm speaking, but because God is present in the room. I had two words given to me before we started today. One was uh, that today's sermon will be like corn spread upon the floor and it's up to you guys to pick it up. And the second was that it, I'm holding an egg, like a precious, very light egg, and, and I must be very careful with it. So clearly, I mustn't chicken out of the things I'm going to say, right? Thank you. I'm literally here all for the next half an hour. <clears throat> right, so uh, following that, 
the Psalms, as you probably know, contain uh, a number of uh, different authors. Sorry, were written by a number of different authors. So uh, there was He-Man and Ethan. I don't know if you've ever seen Masters of the Universe, but it's weird that he's in there. Uh, there was uh, the Sons of Korah. Uh, there were quite a few others as well, Asaph. But the bulk of them were written by David, as in, you know, David and Goliath, that bloke. All right. And does anybody know why he wrote the bulk of the Psalms? Well, I'll tell you why. Because before he became a king, he was a shepherd. And he was outstanding in his field. Thank you very much. It's a joke, but it's a serious point. The time he spent standing in the field, getting to know God, one-to-one, personal, quiet time, qualified him to be brave, to defeat Goliath, to be a king, to be a ruler and a prophet, prophet and a priest and all the other things that he did started because he was outstanding in his field. Folks, as we read the Psalms as we're going on now this week, I encourage you to make time to get away from your busy lives and get outstanding in your field. So let's talk about lament then. Not good. Right. So uh, here's the, one of the dictionary definitions of lament. To mourn aloud, to wail, to complain. Thank you, Chris. I don't know if you know, but there are more songs of lament in the Psalms than there are of praise. So clearly God wants to get our attention, and it might beg the question why we don't talk about this more often. They start heavily at the beginning, and there's less of them and more of the praise at the end. And they're sandwiched in between a couple of psalms of truth statements about God's faithfulness and five psalms at the end about uh, how we should praise God and just lifting him up. So there's a whole storyline of where we start to where we end up. So I'm going to look at a psalm of um, lament today. We're going to look at some psalms of lament just to see what their structure looks like and to understand why they exist. First of all, let's talk about the three types of psalms of lament that you're going to find when you read through your psalms. First of all, there is the personal type of psalm. Now, um, you'll recognise this one because it says, I or me. Now, uh, I think Mike Pilavachi says uh, the unhealthy trinity of me, myself and I. Um, But these psalms are, uh, and laments, are psalms of a personal expression about what's going on in our lives at that particular moment. Um, And the great thing about it is that there's so many of them because... God has given us permission to be a bit real. And sometimes I think, we think, when we come to church, we can't be real. We can't really say how we feel. We can't because it's somehow seen as as dishonouring to God. And we know, in fact, I spoke about it last time I was up here, that the Bible is very strict on complaining. The whole of the book of Exodus, more or less, uh, is an explanation of why God punished the Israelites, because they repeatedly complain. Complaining is an expression to people of a lack of trust in God. Lament is different, and it's great because God has given us a tool in which we can deal with the problems in our life and actually say them to God. And I think this is one of the main differences. You know, life is tough. We as Christians are not exempt, not exempt. I'm sorry about this, this is going to be painful. Not exempt from tragedy, from suffering, from hardship, from poverty. We are not exempt God allows his people to go through these things in our community because then the other people who are going through them can see us with the Lord going through these things. I know you don't want to hear that. 
and I know that none of us want to experience it, but the truth is there's no special exemption. Yes, we can pray to the Lord. Sometimes he will relieve us early, but the fact is hardship is about. So um, can we try the next slide just to see if that'll work? Yay, okay. So here is, here is a quick recap on something I call uh, the doctrine of things held in tension, right? Sometimes we say don't moan, and now I'm saying it's okay to complain. There are a lot of things in the, in the Bible which are held in tension. That means two apparently contradictory things that we need to do in balance, okay, so that we get it right. So not complaining at one end, but lamenting at the other. It's a balance, uh, a bit like, so have you played this game? Did you play this? You pull it, right, and you try and smack your sister in the face. That's what I did anyway. Um, <laughs> she's not paying attention, whew, like that. But it's likewise with suspension bridges, isn't it? Suspension bridges only work if there's tension on both sides. So sometimes, in fact, a lot of the times in the Bible, we need to get the right balance in our life between two things. So no, we shouldn't complain, but yes, we can lament. And also, it show, and lamenting shows us that God sympathises with our hearts, um, the Bible describes him a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. That's in relation to Jesus. Uh, but also, do you know that God is close to us at the times we're suffering? Um, story of Joseph, right? It says in the story of Joseph, you might remember him, he was the one who um, uh, heard from God, didn't pass on the message particularly carefully, and then uh, his older brothers did what any reasonable brothers would do if they had an annoying younger brother, and they sold him into slavery. <laughs> God was close to him two times. It says specifically, the Lord was with him when he got sold into slavery, when he got put into prison. Difficult times. And it's really impacted for us to understand that when we go through hardship, it's very often the time of getting closer to God. I had two and a half, three years of chronic pain. I would not swap that pain for three years of ease. I hated it. I couldn't sleep. It was very unpleasant. But I tell you what, I grew up and I got closer to God. I would not swap that time. And I think some of you who've gone through other things, however painful, however difficult, some of you might say that now. Some of you, it's too early. Right. So let's have a look at Psalm 13. Uh, So this is a personal psalm of lament for the director of the music. Now, I've divided it into colours to make it easier for you to see the four sections which all psalms of lament contain. First of all, number one, in blue... Okay, an address. Who do we lament to? The Lord. We do not lament to our neighbour, our spouse, our church leaders. <laughs> They're laughing at me, so I'm saying that now. Um, <laughs> we, that, that is not lamenting. That is complaining. We only lament to the Lord. Okay? Then comes the bit where we're real, in red. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my my elephant, my enemy, (laughs) triumph over me? It's going to be a long day, isn't it? Now, the Psalms are mixed up, so it's not always going to be in this order, but you will always find these coloured sections in the Psalms. Do you see the difference? We address it to the Lord, we tell him about a problem, and now, here is the most key difference in lamenting to complaining, now comes a truth or trust statement. It's not an emotional response. It is a factual choice response based on our heart knowledge of who God is and how he treats us. So here it goes. All right? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. There's nothing in the red that suggests, suggests that's what David feels like. 
but that's what David has chosen to do. And then, at the end, praise. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. So address it to the Lord. Tell him the problem. Make a truth and trust statement, and then praise. The four elements of lament. And it's really freeing, isn't it? Because if you are going through stuff, and if I'm really... I'm going to make a guesstimate, right? If I was to ask you, how are you? 95% of you would say, I'm fine, thank you, and talk about something inane in your day. If I was to somehow get a truth radar, I would suggest that maybe even as many as 80 or 90% of you are going through something painful at the minute. I don't know what it is. You don't know what mine is. But there is something there. God is giving you a tool today and saying, fine, don't complain, lament. So that's personal lamenting. Okay, moving on. Uh, Next slide, please. Okay, so uh, this is a really interesting story, I think, because the the truth and the trust statement is is hard to do. And here's Abraham. Do you remember the story of Abraham? He was in his tent, and he didn't have any children. And he was very, very old. And he was sat in his tent having what I like to call a pity party. Uh, In his pity party, he was sitting there, uh, saying, oh, so here we go. Uh, so, but the Lord saw him in his pity party and decided to do something about it. So he spoke to him in a vision. I suspect probably while he was asleep, but who knows. Afterwards, Jehovah spoke to Abraham in a vision, and this is what he told him. Don't be fearful, Abraham, for I will defend you, and I will give you great blessing. So here, the Lord is introducing a truth, trust statement into uh, Abraham's life. His response well, okay, so he gets the address right, but at least he knows who he's talking to, and replied, what good are all your blessings when I have no son? For without a son, some other member of my household will inherit all my worth. Isn't it amazing how one problem blinds us to all the other blessings? He even mentions all the other blessings, but he's blind to them because he has this one problem, and let's be honest, he's not even going to see that anyway. But nonetheless, this is what's bothering him. So comes, here comes God again with another true statement. No, no one else will be your heir, for you will have a son to inherit everything you own. Now, it seems a little crazy, because I think he's in, in his 90s, 99 at this point. Then God brought Abraham outside beneath the nighttime sky and told him, look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that, too many to count. So you know, you know God, right? You know the om- omniscient, you know, all-knowing omnipresent, everywhere, uh, omnipowerful, that, that God, right? You know, the beginning, the end, the Jehovah, the, the, the one who can do anything, the Lord God Almighty said, I'm not coming into your pity party tent. You're coming out to look at me. We need to come out to look at him with our truth statement. We can't stay in the tent of misery. We need to get out and look up. So this is lament. Address telling the truth about our problem, receiving and speaking the truth statement, and then we move on to praise. Now look at what God did at the end, right? And Abraham believed God. That, folks, is praise and worship. And what did God do? He considered him righteousness. Big tick, boom, correct answer. Now, if you carry on reading down this, He backtracks on that a little bit and starts whinging in. Not a problem, because back comes God with some more truth statements, and eventually it all goes right for him. But, you know, we we serve a patient God, slow to anger, compassionate, full of love. We can get this right. If you don't get it right first time, just go back and do it again. 
Next slide, please. Right, so praise, the fourth part. I don't know if you know, there are four uh, words for love. Uh, I think in the Greek or the Hebrew, but Simon's probably going to correct me now, but there are definitely at least seven words for praise. And I thought it would be useful to go through them, because sometimes when we hear praise, it's like, mm, uh, what's all that about? So the, these words are amazing. I'm, I'm going to rattle through them. Next slide, please. Um, so the first one, and these are all found in the Psalms, is zamar. Yeah, get to the right page. One second. Da, 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 da. Zamar, okay. To make music, to celebrate, to touch the strings or part of a musical instrument. So it's not just the worship team. I have a uh, guitar and a trumpet and a piano, none of which I can play in my house. Doesn't matter. I can still praise on them. God is not impressed with my piano playing or my trumpet, but he does look upon the heart. Psalm 144, I will sing a new song to God. On a harp of ten strings, I will praise Zamar him. Okay? Um, Have you noticed there are no instructions in the Bible to sing an old song? Old song on her first ever independent leading of the worship. But there are lots of instructions to sing a new song, right? Just saying. Next slide, please. The next word of praise, yada. Okay? This is to revere or worship with hands, to hold out your hands. Now, you're thinking, oh, ho, ho, no. The other meaning of this Yada is to throw a stone or an arrow. This is, come on then, let's have some of that. This is that moment where David confronted Goliath. He didn't stand there and go, yes, we have a Lord. Who, uh... He was like, who do you think you are? I serve the Lord God of heaven and you are about to get some. It's that level of praise. Hmm? <laughs> the next one, ta-da, ta-da. An extension of the hand. If you want, and you're not good at putting your hand up, if you find this stuff difficult, then I recommend you go, ta-da, like that. It's fine, we'll forgive you. It might be the first or second time. Okay, an extension of the hand, a thanksgiving, a confession, a sacrifice of praise, a thanksgiving for things not yet, or, weirdly, a choir of worshippers. So all of those in that praise word, right? Ta-da. Next one, please. Shabak. To address in a loud tone, to shout, to commend glory and triumph. We're a bit British sometimes, aren't we? We're not that good at shouting. I'm a, I'm a bit shouty on the stage, sorry. But uh, can you play the next one? I, I've got an example of what a Shabak praise looks like. The International Olympic Committee has the honour of announcing that the Games of the 30th Olympiad in 2012 are awarded to the city of London. A Shabak, right there. Do you see the Shabak? That's a Shabak. It's spontaneous. I'm going to suggest to you that we shouldn't try and fake that in church. But there are times when a significant thing happens in the life of our church, or there are times when there's significant healing or something, where a Shabak is the appropriate response. So I'm releasing you now. If you feel under pressure to praise God in a certain way, Shabak, you're good. You don't need to Shabak. But Shabak is an appropriate response. Next one, Tequila. Sorry, sorry, Tequila. <laughs> too, much, too much trips to Mexico. <laughs> A spontaneous song. Now, Spontaneous songs used to make me feel really awkward. I used to go to conferences. You know, some of you know I, I work at conferences in the summer. 
and they do a spontaneous song, and I'll be like, oh, I don't know, I feel really stupid, you know. Oh, Lord, you're so great for giving me that parking space. (laughs) (laughs) But it's in the book of Psalms. There we go, Psalm 22. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises, to healer of Israel, the spontaneous praises. Psalm 40, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise, to healer, a spontaneous song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Or Psalm 100, you know this one, enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart, enter his courts with tequila! <laughs> tequila, it's not just, ah, it's spontaneous. You see the praise? Amen. Amen. Next. You're going to love this one. Halal, to rave, to shine, to celebrate, to clamorously be ridiculous, to jump up and down. We don't only do it at conferences. We can do it here. I'm not just doing this to annoy you. (laughs) Just in case you're wondering. I will declare the name of my people in the assembly. I will halal you. I will praise you. It's a public display of joy because we have so much to celebrate. And now, the final one, Barak. This is a bit different. Barak is to kneel, to bless God as an act of worship through pain, to praise, to salute, to thank. It is the most valuable type of praise. When you are hurting and you lament, you may not be able to do any of the praise but Barak. God sees that as precious. So today, if you are hurting, lament, and at the end, Barak. Praise the Lord, Barak, the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise Barak, the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord, my soul, the you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Barak, Psalm 103. Isn't it amazing God has given us this huge number of tools. And I was absolutely stunned. I didn't know any of this. I'm, I'm gutted. 44 years. Nearly all of those serving the Lord. And I didn't understand. Maybe it was translational differences or whatever. Didn't understand all the options we have to praise the Lord. And they are not completely limited. This is, oh, well, this is the final number. No. Spontaneity. The Lord is allowing us to praise him. Now... Some of you are sitting there going, right, right, right for you, you're an outgoing kind of person, you're clearly an extrovert, but I, I, I'm not that person. When you do the Freedom in Christ course, which I highly recommend for anyone, they will talk to you about emotions and how emotions are like the lights on a dashboard in a car. So if something's wrong in your engine, a light will go, bing, on your car. Orange, well, ignore it. Red, no, don't. Red, <laughs> red for best stop now. I ignored rest, red for best stop now when I, had my, um, when I had my Rover because I was late for court. And then I never did get to court because, boom, the engine blew up right in the middle of Hurston. And in full dress uniform, I had to get out and get on the bus. <laughs> and there's a woman <clears throat> in a seat with her child next to me. went, my husband's in prison. Oh. <laughs> this is a good, good way to start a conversation, isn't it? <laughs> um, And the lights tell us something's wrong. Our emotions, out-of-control emotions, tell us something's wrong and we need to deal with it. But some of us tape over those lights. Now, even if that light is faulty and there isn't a problem and you tape over it because you say, no, no, I'm fine, but I'm the kind of person who doesn't do emotion, I put a bit of black tape over it. When there is a problem, 
you won't know. So it's never good to tape over or ignore our emotions. We need to be in contact with them and in control of them. In my job, I have to be very careful about emotion and I've become, unfortunately, a little bit famous for being able to deal with stuff with no emotion. Because as a very young man, I had a lot to deal with and I closed it off. Those of you who've been military service may have experienced a similar thing. One of the great blessings of the Lord is that he can work back from there and deal with these emotions. Now you say, look, I'm just not that person. Well, let me give you something slightly more impactive. Those Psalms we read, none of them were a suggestion. Those instructions to praise in that way were commands. Maybe commands you don't want to hear, but they are commands nonetheless. And if we don't follow commands, we, you, me, miss out on biblical blessings. I don't feel comfortable doing it. Fine. Honestly, fine. We're all like that. Some more than others, I agree. But our obedience should never take a back seat to our comfort. Our obedience to the Lord should never be dependent on whether we are comfortable or not. Done, isn't it? Right, next one, please. Uh, We'll skip that one too. Thank you. Right, so here's the second type of lament, which I'm going to divide into two parts, so I'm going to call this second and third. Corporate lament. So these are other psalms, and these are identified because instead of saying I or me, they say uh, we or us. And they often include a particular section about what God's done in the past. So this is corporate lament. Lamenting as a group or a body. Um, Psalm 85, let's have a quick look at that for me if we can. Okay, so here's an example of a corporate lament. But you see it still follows the same pattern. Blue, the address, you Lord. So corporate laments are to the Lord. You showed favour to your land, you restored the fortunes of Jacob, you forgave your iniquity of your people and you covered all their sins. You set aside your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Truth statement, reminding us of what God did in the past. So I told you, it wouldn't necessarily be in the same order, but it's all there. Now, here's the problem. We've wandered off. We've got cold-hearted. We've done the wrong thing. Restore us again, God our Saviour, and put away your displeasure to us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, it's harder to spot in this one, but there is a praise statement in here. So I coloured it in yellow. Show us your unfailing love. It's a statement that demonstrates we know that God has unfailing love towards us. And then we go back to the problem bit a little bit. Okay, so that is what corporate lament looks like. Note, you showed favour to your land and you restored the favour of your people. Two subtly different parts of this lament. Land, people. Nation, church. Okay, right, skipping ahead. So let's have a look at the church aspect of it. Let me ask a question. Has any of our behaviour as a church recently been lamentable? I don't want to limit God's power. And yes, we have the power to limit God's power. It's in the Bible, look it up. When I get to heaven, I don't want to have a Homer Simpson moment. Oh, I should have helped that person. Oh, we should have done that. Oh, that person could have been reached. Oh, that power was available to us. I don't want that. I want, well done, good and faithful servant. 
I'll have my five talents back, thanks very much, with the other ones on top. That's what I want. I think that's what you want too. But we must, must, must make sure that, uh, you know, that we lament over any behaviour that we individually and us corporately as a church, because we must get our house in order before we can reach the nations. It's a definite, definite thing that we can't be effective in the world if we still have lamentable behaviour in the church. So how do we know if we've got lamentable behaviour? Let me tell you this. It's a simple test. Is love our mark? Jesus said, by this you shall know my disciples, that they love one another. One another, everyone. New people. People have been here years. My kind of people. Immature people. Uncalled people. Everyone. Nobody left behind. So important. It's so easy to leave some people behind. But that isn't love. Love does not discard some people because they're irritating or uncool or whatever it is. It's fine to show extra care to some groups of people because they need it at a certain time, but no one left behind. The church is a business, I believe, a limited business, is that right? But in the busyness of church, we must not forget that the church is primarily a family. And I say the family because that's the words in the Bible. Um, Chris read a uh, thing earlier where Jesus said we were friends, right? That was before he went to the cross. After he went to the cross, we are now family. It says so. We are adopted in the family. We are sons and daughters. We are the bride. These are all family terms. So we must be family to each other. And in families, what do we do? We raise up sons and daughters. We raise up mothers and fathers. We bless, we uh, anoint, we forgive. These are the things that happen in families, right? Ladies and gentlemen, are we behaving like a family? And if not, should we lament? You know, sometimes um, when God speaks to a church, when he spoke to Israel, when he spoke to the New Testament churches, some of it was a little bit hard to hear. Um, And certainly when God's spoken to me in the past, it's been a little bit hard to hear. I'm not going to lie to you. But the thing with things that are hard to hear is they develop spiritual maturity. Next slide, please. Spiritual maturity says this. Everybody in this room is an idiot. Not me, the Bible. God chose the foolish things to shame the wise things. So if you are here and you know God, you're an idiot. But it's fine because you're God's idiot and you're getting better. We may be different levels of idiocy. And right at this moment, I feel like a right plum. But the point is... (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Two people got that joke. I appreciate your kindness. But spiritual maturity is power. It's power to do things that other people cannot do. It's power to love when other people cannot love someone. It's power to be patient when other people can't be patient. I'll give you an example. A friend of mine um, got a new job recently, and he didn't, he didn't like what was going on too much, so he wrote a long letter to the boss telling him how terrible it was. Guess what the boss wrote back? Congratulations, find another job. He couldn't control his emotions because he didn't have the maturity yet to deal with the situation without the rant and without the obnoxiousness, and he paid a price. But had he been more spiritually mature, he could have dealt with that, and he would have had more power, and with power comes influence. We want to influence our society around us, don't we? We don't want to allow our uh, 
our town to go to hell in a handcart. It's not right, is it, that people will die in Whitstable today and they do not know Jesus. They don't have their eternal salvation sorted out. Why? Their own choice. But because maybe we don't yet have enough power and influence and maturity to be reaching all the people who could be reached in this town. Next slide, please. Sometimes you know, there's, a big, um, there's a big telling off in Amos 5, um, which we read quite a lot, talks about sacrifices and stuff like that. Well, um, Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, died recently. But I don't think we understand how shocking God's rebuke was to the people of Israel, the church of the day. So I thought I'd read this one. I'm not saying it applies to everything here, but you've got to hear the shocking power of the message that came to the people then to understand that God is happy to rebuke us for our own development. So he wrote this. This is the Lord speaking. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Singing prayer. Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. I want that. That is all I want. That is a proper slap in it. You're not going to get out from that one straight away. We need to take God's discipline in our lives seriously. We lament to avoid the discipline of the Lord because complaining brings discipline. But we need to make sure, corporately as a church, that we regularly lament, I would suggest. We are an imperfect people. We're not yet where we need to be. We are on our way, and you could argue we're okay, but there are definitely going to be times when we're going to need to lament as a church. Next slide, please. And the final one is lament for our nation. Lamenting for our nation is intercession. Intercession is not praying for our friends, family, the local, national or world powers. That is not intercession. Intercession looks very different. Uh, next slide, please. Um, it's the corporate lament of a nation where we stand in the gap to help those who can't do it for themselves. So this is the graveyard at All Saints. In the graveyard at All Saints, there are at least three military graves. Uh, the first one is Private William Henry Randall from the 19th Battalion, the Middlesex Regiment of the Pioneers, he survived the Somme and Italy, but in Flanders on the 100-day push. On the 15th of August, 1918, working on a narrow-gauge railway, he was killed in Vippenhoek. The one next to it, which doesn't look like a normal one, but it's put in by the family, is Charles Frank Shaw, Private 36863 of the Machine Gun Corps. He died of his wounds on the Monday, the 25th of June, 1917, at Bleen in Canterbury, having been flown back from the front. He joined when he was 14 because he was a bit taller so he survived five years as a child on the battlefield before succumbing to his... Today we remember them, but our remembrance is actually an act of lament, though we're beginning to forget it. There was a C of E vicar who went to the front and became a padre or a parson or whatever you want to call them, and he saw the cross of a shallow grave that said an unknown British soldier, and he realised that the British army didn't send home their dead. They didn't want a stream of coffins crossing the channel. There were so, so many people. They just buried them where they are. That's why there are battlefield cemeteries all over 
uh, France, Belgium and other places. And he realised the need for national lament. He realised that there was a deep hurting pain that needed to be expressed to the Lord. So he spoke to his bishop, his bishop spoke to someone else and eventually it got to the Prime Minister. And what happened was they decided upon the thing that we all now know as the unknown soldier. So four British bodies were dug up from four battlefields. Then some senior officers, for some reason at midnight, went to the location and selected one body at random. The idea being that the uh, 517,773 families, yeah, that's half a million if you're not paying attention, whose bodies had not been identified and couldn't be given a grave, could genuinely believe there was a chance that that one body was their own son, husband, father, whoever. And it was brought back with full military honours and given a state funeral and whoever that chap is lies now, Westminster Abbey, amongst 17 kings of England in the prime slot. And this is the lament that went up. Lord, address, let this be the war to end all wars. God grant that such madness never be loosed upon this world again. It's a lament. It's a lament. Not complete, I know, but that is what a national lament looks like. The problem with national laments is we can't just take them and and, and do a prayer. It's got to be a heartfelt thing. That C of E vicar did not sit on the battlefield and go, oh, well, that's a whole load of funerals to sort out there. He was moved by compassion. And compassion is difficult, isn't it? Compassion is painful. Compassion is a... Let me read you what compassion is like. This is Red Moon Rising, by the way. It's the the story of uh, the revival of uh, houses of prayer in this country. I really highly recommend it to you. A guy named Paul, with long matted hair and massive flair, stood up, rather hesitantly, to speak at one of our gatherings. He began with a confession, but we were soon to discover he was carrying a powerful message from the Lord. My sister has anorexia, he confided, brushing the hair from his face. She's 26 and weighs 32 kilos. The anorexia is so bad that she's developed arthritis, she can't even dress herself or straighten her hands. She also seems to have got diabetes and is going through the menopause 20 years too early. She isn't a Christian... She just seems to have been robbed of everything. Her womanhood, her figure, her dignity, her life. The crowd had grown totally silent, hanging on to every tortured word. I'm here to confess something to you, he said, looking up at his audience. Paul paused. I don't even pray for her. I've been asking myself, why not? Don't I care? And the answer is, yes, I care. Do I believe in prayer? Yes, I do. The reason I don't pray for my sister is because it's too painful. To pray for her is to think about her situation. It means identifying with her and feeling her pain. So I find it easier just not to and to forget the whole thing and pretend it's not happening. But God's been challenging me to feel my sister's pain because that is actually what it means to intercede. I also, God is challenging us to a movement of young people to dare to feel the pain all around us, to move from praying for people to praying with them. Ladies and gentlemen, the last lament is the lament of intercession. What so offends you that you are prepared to earnestly seek God about it? Is it the fact that people are being murdered in our capital every single day 
because gang culture has taken over our schools, our prisons, our streets. And if you think it's not here in Whitsmore, Canterbury, you are fooling yourself. I can tell you that now. That train line takes one hour. If you think gang members aren't getting on those trains and aren't hiring high-performance vehicles and driving down here, they are. Does that offend you? It offended David Wilkerson. Those of you who know the story of the cross and the switchblade. Maybe that's not quite for you. What about food banks? Why do we need food banks in 2018? Lamentable what's going on in our nation, isn't it? Lamentable. Is your heart broken for that? The underground church. I had the absolute privilege of going abroad uh, earlier this year and hiding out uh, in a Central Asian country from the police whilst encouraging and supporting members of the underground church. And it was an absolute privilege. I thought, what is this idiot, this boy from the backwater of Whitstable, doing here in this country? The pastor had been beaten up by the police the week before I got there. If the police came and beat up Simon, would you care? Honestly, though, this is what I'm saying. We would care a lot, right? But if it happens to a pastor somewhere else, we don't really care because we don't know that person, because we don't have a heart that is broken towards that situation. So today, I'm going to say this to you. Don't bother with corporate lament. Waste of time. Don't bother with it, because if you haven't got a heart for the thing that you want to lament about, it's a complete waste of time. You can go home today and you can decide to do some things. You might do, I do this all the time at work. I go to work and I decide that I'm going to be nicer to people. I decide that I'm not going to complain. I decide that however irritating people are, and I'm not talking about the people outside, I'm talking about the inside of the building, I will be calm and collective about it. So far, I don't have a 100% record. <laughs> if you decide to lament for our nation today, you will probably fail. So here's my invitation to you today. Uh, Worship band, would you like to come up? My invitation is this. It's quite clear that we need God to break our heart for what breaks his. Anything short of that will not be good enough. I feel passionately about some things in the world, but I don't feel passionately enough, quite clearly, to have given away my money or my time, even time on my knees. Church, lament is an amazing gift to us to deal with our own pain, to uh, repent and sort our own church life out, and to then move out in power to deal with our people. So today I've asked the worship band just to pray a song, and this is my invitation for you today as I finish now. If you want God to break your heart for something, then I'm going to invite you as idiots to pray the stupidest prayer you've ever prayed in your life. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.